Welcome to Impact the World, the show for and about creatives, changemakers, and entrepreneurs. This is a conversation episode where a special guest shares with me what they are creating and the behind the scenes journey of their experience. Welcome to Impact the World, and I'm delighted to introduce my guest, Miten, for this special conversation episode. Some of you will be familiar with David Pramal and Miten and their work in the past three decades and more as leading lights in spiritual music, sacred chant, and mantra. And it was really delightful to get to talk to David Pramal recently. You may have seen that show in recent weeks, and on the same day, I got to speak to Miten, and that's the show that we're bringing you today. Miten has had a really interesting career. His beginning as a rock musician supporting the likes of Fleetwood Mac led him to abandon his traditional music career and look for something more substantial. It was when he was at Osho's ashram that he met Deva. And this conversation takes in a range of areas. We speak in depth about his time with Osho. We speak about why music is so sacred to him. And he also shares beautiful story about what he has just experienced going through heart surgery a couple of years ago and how it has affected him and changed his view on the world. I was really touched by this conversation. So I hope you enjoy experiencing Miten. So Maten, thank you so much for being here and welcome to Impact the World. And I was sharing with Deva when I spoke to her for the show last week how you two have been a huge influence for me now for, it will be around 25 years. I remember going into, you know, my new age shops back when I was about 17, 18, beginning of my journey, really beginning of my search and your CDs would always be there. I would hear your music. So it's really lovely to to get to connect with you guys today. Thanks, Lee. It's nice, uh, nice connection. I can feel it. Well, you you two are the emblem of community and connection, and so I was really struck by the fact that we're doing this during quarantine times, and how you know you are these nomadic souls with a musical mission to take the power of meditation and mantra into community. So the way that you guys have been able to do that with your 77 days of live uh, on meditations and Gayatri every single day. It's incredible. And I shared with Deva last week that I just turned one of them on one day on a day that I really needed it. And uh, it was just within, I don't know, 60 seconds. I was just like, ah, oh, I'm breathing again and I'm expanded again and I'm open again. But that must have been a pretty intense and all-consuming experience for you guys in a way to to be part of that for 77 days what was that like for you it's like getting in bed with deva man <laughs> it's really like that honestly I, I don't mean to sound flippant but what better thing to do with your beloved you know but to sit and sing together and we were just faced with an iphone so you know who cares but there was a a sense of community that grew through those 77 days you could feel in the silences the pulse of a community. And uh, that surprised me. That surprised me because uh, I just, you know, I have had, like you, have had no experience of, of reaching people through this medium. And the only reason I was doing it 
was because we couldn't go to South America on the tour that we'd been scheduled. So it was like, what are we going to do? Well, well, let's, you know, we knew that there was a community somehow because we'd been chanting the Gayatri Mantra every new year for online. And uh, uh, January, we, we, January the 1st for seven days, we uh, chanted the Gayatri every day. And it was like 100,000 people chanting with us. It was like, off the charts, you know. So when we were here, we like, well, let's let's just put it out and say, let's go online and uh, uh, and do what we do, and this is all we've been doing for thirty years. You know, it's not we we never looked on it as a mission. We never looked on it as a performance. That 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 those kind of words didn't exist, and they don't really exist in this equation. You know, we we were honoured to be asked to play music in the ashram in Pune. You know, if we, I was actually, when David and I met, I was coordinating the music. This was after like, I don't know, 15 years of being with Osho or something. And um, so, you know, I just walked into Osho's ashram and said, I never said or never mentioned that I was a musician before or that I'd been playing music. I wanted to not carry that cross and I'd, I just needed to heal from that identity of being, you know, a musician. Mm. So I just, I just didn't tell anyone. And anyway, I wasn't really equipped to play the kind of music that I was hearing back then in the ashram because it was amazing, man. It was like something beyond the rock music world. It was kind of a, uh, I had a sense of it, you know, uh, you know, you could feel it in those guys back then, like Neil Young. There was a sense of passion and uh, a religious sense in what he was doing but uh, to actually be in the center of uh, spiritual music like that was it was like clean it was like nothing i had experienced was pure like that with music there was no ambition there was no performance there was no money involved it was just like this outpouring of of gratitude you know and so it took me a while to uh, to uh, heal. It took me a year or so. I, had, you know, I just chopped carrots for a year in the kitchen, basically, and washed the rice, you know, and uh, and uh, you know, got into learning about meditation and got into learning about who I really am. And, and uh, Osho was on the edge, you know. He wasn't uh, he wasn't there to give anyone a holiday. We, you know, it was. Uh, it was great. It was totally amazing. And uh, so, you know, I kind of got brainwashed. My mind got cleaned out. And uh, then this young German girl came into my life. And uh, by that time, I was equipped because I was responsible for the music there in the Buddha Hall. You know, every night Osho came out. So that was my my first learning was in the rock business because I that, that was almost like my apprenticeship for being able to support Deva because I knew how to do it. I knew what it was, what was needed and I knew I could do it. But uh, in the early days, she, uh, she wasn't singing or anything, you know, she, she was studying body work and, um, which she was really good at. And um, so, you know, we had the experience together of what, of what it takes really to do what we're doing. And the music 
is always born out of silence. That's that was the experience I had. There's no performance involved. It's a communal thing, and uh, musicians are actually incidental. It just happens to be me and Deva. You know, that's how I see it when we come together in a city. You know, it's like, oh, this is the sangha of this city, and uh, here we are uh, being honored to play for that sangha. Yeah. And, you know, so that's the way I approach it. And then you're off the hook. There's no performance, nothing to remember, nothing to plan. You just go out there and give yourself to the great spirit and, uh, and, and let the Gayatri carry you. And then we just, you know, that's what we've done. And I think that's sustained our relationship in a very beautiful way. And, um, you know, that's really, that's what we've been. Beautiful. It's beautiful. And, and I was struck because I didn't really know about your early life, Maten, until I was, you know, reading about you before we came to this conversation. But it's interesting, isn't it, that your, I think to, to quote your biography, you were, you were opening for and, and playing with people like Fleetwood Mac and Hall and & Oates. And yeah. Fleetwood Mac in the r- rumors time, man. It was right. pumping. And I got every night to see them play rumors, you know, play that whole thing with Lindsay Buckingham and Steve. Wow. Yeah, it was great learning. Fantastic. I just saw the most beautiful video, actually, of, um, oh, I'm forgetting the name of it now, but uh, a really classic song. But anyway, saw them backstage singing a cappella. It was going around YouTube a few weeks ago. It was incredible. But you said in the biography, or the biography says, that it was the distortions of the rock and roll lifestyle were slowly eating away at you until you eventually had to get out. At, was it age 29? Yeah, I guess so, something like that. I was in it through my 20s, you know, and uh, I got to a certain point, but you, you can only do that for so long and not, you know, be sort of semi-successful because in a way I was uh, looking up, you know, always looking up and I always felt like I was on the periphery of everything, of life. I just felt like, where's that, you know, Where's the center? Oh, it must be, you know, and then I was sort of in the so-called center, traveling with Fleetwood Mac and Ry Kuda and Randy Newman, all these great musicians and songwriters who I adored, you know. And uh, I was still on the periphery and uh, it just wasn't happening for me. I don't mean successfully, I mean as a human being. I needed some life experience and I didn't know where it was and I had no idea until I walked out on my family and my record company and my publisher and the band and everything else, my wife, my son, carrying a lot of guilt that uh, suddenly life just hit me full blast and it was, uh, you know, I just happened to, now of course it's obviously there was synchronistic uh, moment but back then i didn't realize it was just somebody gave me a book from bhagwan sri rajneesh it's like wow mm. it was a book on zen zen it was zen parables no water no moon it was called and you'll relate to this as a musician because the 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 actual story that touched me was of a, a, a zen nun and the story goes, the parable goes that uh, her name was Chiono and uh, she'd gone to the well to, to uh, 
in the night to get some water. And she was making her way back to the monastery on the full moon night. And she happened to look in the bucket and see the full moon reflected in the bucket. And at that moment, so the story goes, it broke. And in that moment, she became enlightened because she realized her life had been focused on the reflection and not the real thing. And she turned around and saw the real thing, the full moon, and that was it. And that was like my music. I knew it was somewhere there. It was behind me. So I was sort of, I knew that uh, it was there because the music and the, and the songs that I was writing was a plea. Like Cat Stevens, you know, he was another one. You know, he was like, he you know, he was doing all, and he knew it was there, but he didn't know where it was. And one day he turned around and that was it. So that was, that was my, my journey into it. And I was like, if this community exists, I'm off, man. This is it. This is all I've got left because I was, I was, I'd got to a point where I was just kind of crying my eyes out on the streets of London because I, I just couldn't, live without my boy my little son and i couldn't live with him and his mom i just couldn't and uh, it became a, a turning point you know and i didn't know when i left i thought oh it's a good i can manipulate this you know and then suddenly i realized i couldn't get back i couldn't get back every time i went back i couldn't get it was just so I, I, there was nowhere for me to go and uh, so you know that book came at, at, at an incredibly auspicious moment in my life. I came to Osho and he gave me the name Prabhu Miten, which means friend of God. I didn't have a friend in the world, man. and he didn't know, you know, be a friend to yourself and befriend the godliness within you, you know, and uh, that's been my, that's been my journey. <laughs> it's interesting because, you know, your time, you were in Oregon with Osho and, and like probably many people, I mean, not only do I do I have a few friends who have told me they were there, but you know the Wild Wild West Netflix show, which I I watched along with a lot of people, and I think it gives a a very particular view of what was going on there, which is not the view of most people I know who were there. It kind of gave a more slanted in the drama, um, the drama side of of what went on there. It's pretty dramatic. It's pretty. Yeah. Dr- it was it was like nothing I'd ever experienced before, you know. Uh, this boy from London out in the wilds of Oregon on a ranch with the National Guard parked up there, you know, and you never knew what was going to happen. And Osho was, uh, he was, uh, it, it was like the best therapy group ever, you know. It was like. You know, it wasn't it wasn't in a meditation room in London. It was out there in the wild. You were living something. You were really living something. And you had someone like Sheila, who was our version of Trump, our version yeah. of Donald Trump, basically, you know. And so, so there was uh, a nation, if you like, just like with Trump, and there's a lot of Americans that don't really want anything to do with him, but you're stuck with it. And then in a way, that's how we were doing it. We, I was just, I was just, um, you know, I was just learning and growing and uh, being in a, in, a, in a situation that I'd never been in before. And I think that's Osho's way. He was always like, he liked the edge. He was like, you know, you think you're enlightened? come a little bit further, take another few steps and see now, you know, 
And that's happened to a lot of my friends back then. After that, many people I knew were like, you know, fuck off, show, I'm not getting, that's me finished. Me, I never had one minute doubt. This was the most amazing teaching of my life. So, you know, I, I was in and, uh, and I never, with the master, when you, when you go into it like that, you know, you just, it's a, it's a love that uh, it cannot be described. It's not the love that you feel for your girlfriend, your wife, your mother, your father, your children. It's way beyond that. And I never had any experience. I mean, what am I doing? I'm, I'm devoting my life to this uh, so-called Indian guru who's not even in, in his personality. He's not even there. You know, so it was like this unfolding of uh, life and um, in, in a way that my eyes were open, I was actually communicating, you know, and I was actually listening and I was learning how to be with another woman. I was learning how to breathe. I was learning what respect really is with a girl, with a woman, with whoever, you know, and it was a tantric experiment, a deep and fulfilling tantric experiment. And it doesn't necessarily look very attractive from the outside. It's definitely fodder for the media, that's for sure. You know, because it looks like one big party. And uh, it was the edge. We were really learning how to be with each other and uh, what that meant, you know. And uh, so in a way, I was prepared for Deva. She's, when the first time I hugged Deva, she was 20, I was 43. I'm holding this young girl and I'm feeling she's older than me, <laughs> you know. <laughs> she, was, she was so settled in herself and just so, just a, a relaxed breath. And, uh, and I'm holding and feeling, wow. So, you know, I, was, um, I, I could recognize that kind of depth of, of, of being by then, you know. So when she sat on the edge of the bed one day and said to me, will you listen to me sing? I'm like, sure. And, uh, you know, and she could sing all the songs that I'd been writing and singing in the Buddha Hall. And she could sing all the harmonies because she'd had a musical upbringing, which I didn't know. Her mother was a classical musician, so... Suddenly, she had a, an opportunity to sing with me, and and to, and I could feel wow, she's actually in tune, and and uh, she had a German accent, so we had to work on that, you know. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, but uh, you know, she uh, she was awake, and when I took her into the Buddha Hall, into the musical ensemble after a few months or something, it showed her how to sing on the microphone and how it feels to have to play to a few thousand people and the band and the energy that is there. She learned a lot from those times in Ashram, and she also understood silence. She really knew what that was all about. And it wasn't until, I think, about seven years after that, when she rediscovered the Gayatri Mantra, that was our turning point. Up until then, we'd been sharing, we'd left India after a few years. I think she was about maybe, I don't know, maybe 22, 23. I can't remember so much in time, but, but we, we were traveling around uh, all the meditation centers in Europe 
in a little Mitsubishi bus that we bought for a thousand Deutschmarks. We had no money. <laughs> but we, uh, we because of my kind of profile in the ashram, the meditation centers, if I called them up and said, hey, you know, would you like a weekend workshop? They would tell the people we would go down there. We were all through Italy and Rome. and It was an amazing time. And uh, we were just sharing helping people to open their voice, really, helping people to sing and taking them into uh, the experience that we'd had in the ashram of meditation in Sinusa. That's what we did, and we were actually in England. We were in England and uh, at a festival, a, mu- a, a sort of spiritual festival, and David comes to me and said, I've just heard these people chanting this Gayatri mantra, and she said, that was the mantra that I was born to. And I, she, she'd never told me before. Wow. So I, we didn't know. She didn't even know the name of it. She was just these mantra that her father had given her. So she had to ask, what is that? I said, this is the Gayatri mantra. Aha, uh-huh. that's called the Gayatri mantra. It's the first time I'd heard the word and her. But she came to me and she, uh, so I, you know, I immediately went to A minor because I knew that was her, that was her comfort zone. And uh, before long, we'd, we'd created something that she could step forward and sing because up until then, she'd been, she'd been uh, Paul McCartney to my John Lennon. You know? Right. right. <laughs> Harmonies, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, so um, suddenly, Deva, Deva found a voice there in, in the mantras. And for me, it was like, wow. Uh this is something I can support. So it flipped from being Miten and his girlfriend to David Pramalan, who's the guy playing guitar, you know? <laughs> That's so great. That's yeah. so great. Amazing. It was amazing. It's amazing when you, you know, when you share the story in the way you just have, like it's very interesting to just stand back and see it. Like you guys were so galvanized by the energy in the ashram. And that, that training that you went through, and like you said, your early career on stages with the rock industry was the first apprenticeship. Mm-hmm. But then how you've taken that galvanized energy out into the world and amplified it around the world and taken it with you. And as you're saying, as, you're, as I'm just kind of, you know, piecing that together, listening to you, I'm, has it ever been tricky for you to constantly be moving? I know that you love moving and being nomads, and I know that you have many tools to keep yourselves clear and meditate and all that stuff. But I wonder, has it ever been tricky to, to, to was there ever a period you really had to learn how to keep no. moving around the world as sensitive beings and hold your own center? No, man. No, because you had it, you had it all galvanized it, inside. Yeah, I guess it just made it fresh all the time. Right. I kept it fresh and uh, we only did it because we liked to do it. Yeah. You know, it was really like that. But I, just to get back to that, what you were just mentioning, I just want to share something with you because uh, there was a moment at, when we were playing with Fleetwood Mac, I was solo, and uh, it was at Wembley, and uh, we had six nights at Wembley, and there was one night that, that I think was my first real understanding of being in the moment, what that was, and it was, uh, it was just a flash of being there with the guitar with a white spotlight on, so you couldn't see anything, 
but the power in your guitar was like phenomenal and your voice was phenomenal and you couldn't see anything and you were just like that thing about uh, caught in the spotlight, like that Bob Dylan song, uh, the band song. It was just this moment of feeling, wow, this, I was just stuck in the moment. There was nowhere to go. There was nothing to do. I was aware of my voice. I was aware of the sound of my guitar. Nothing else, you know. And that, though, that was a step because you you can't perform mantras. You can't you can't you can't do this with mantras, you know. And 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 you can't slouch. You you have to stand up and you have to, you, you know. I mean, stand up, but I mean, you have to. Your spine needs to be straight. You need to be, you need to be engaged, you know. And and that moment was a big one for me, you know. Steva had it intrinsically, but, you know, it took me, it took me a few years after, after that moment to recognize it. When I came in the ashram and I reckon, oh yeah, that's what that was. And uh, so, so, you know, uh, as far as traveling goes, she just liked to do it. She was like me. I, I was, you know, I've been doing it since I was a kid of 20. I was always looking out of windows of band, you know, group vans and, uh, and, and at nighttime just looking out of rainy windows and seeing houses and thinking, I wonder what it's like to <laughs> live like that, you know. <laughs> and, uh, but I never did. And uh, I did for a while with my son and my wife back then, but... Uh, yeah, I was hopeless at it. After a few years, I just felt so claustrophobic. I was dying, you know. I just can't do it. And now we're talking about maybe um, making a home here, but I'm so scared of that, you know, because yeah. I'm, I'm just, I'm a jippo, man. I'm, and, and <laughs> <laughs> Which for those of you who don't originate from England, jippo is, you know, gypsy, roaming gypsy is kind of, yeah. Yeah. Is you know, one thing that you mentioned and you were talking about the tantric element, um, you know, one of the things that I read, because I haven't yet had the pleasure of experiencing you two live, but it's on my list uh, when we're all allowed out of the house again. And um, you, I know that at your gatherings, you encourage long hugs between people, which right now in quarantine, I think we're all craving. But I was curious if you could, you know, elaborate on on that a little bit, and what 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 that's what level of presencing that's bringing for people. Well, when I came to the ashram, this is back in the seventies, late seventies. the The concept of hugging wasn't it wasn't it wasn't like it is now. The only, you know, I, I, you know, we had to learn how to hug, and uh, the hugging was uh, necessary because, in some ways, we were raw. We were, we were shedding layers, and uh, you know, there was a, there was a need to, to feel, you know, to feel like, like from, you know, back then, to hug a man, to really hold another guy, and. Uh, uh, and it wasn't, you know, usually even now, you know, you hug and it's for one breath and that's it. That's mm. it. 
this was like, let me just feel this, you know, and be held by my brother. And, and uh, so, and then let me be held by my sister and let, let me hold her, let me hold him, you know. And uh, so it was, uh, it was phenomenal. It was just new. It was just new, you know, and uh, it was new and it was absolutely necessary. And uh, it's not that, you know, it's not that our gatherings, it's, it's like, you know, people come to us say, oh yeah, I heard your no clapping is allowed in your, in your concerts. I'm like, it's not that it's not allowed, it's a suggestion. It's a suggestion to say, see what happens if you don't do that um, social uh, thing of putting this sound. Conditioning, after. isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's just a social thing. And if you take that out, see what happens. That's all I'm saying. Just give yourself space to experience what happens if we don't put that sound in. And it's the same with clapping, with the hugging. It's like, you know, we, 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 we do. We've, I can remember doing that in some groups. Okay, we're going to teach you guys how to hug. Okay. So I get Manoz or, you know, you know, Manoz Abansuri, yeah. the maestro from Nepal, the most beautiful soul in the world, man. I said, Manoz, come here, you know, and uh, we'd hold each other and we'd say, okay, now there's a few things here. First thing is you need to, you need to uh, relax your knees, to kind of bend your knees, you know, so you start to send, you're holding someone. Now, if it feels a little awkward in your, in your the way you're standing, move yourself, move yourself until you feel, oh, that's it. Now I feel good. Don't, don't think, oh, this is it. You make it, a, make it a gift to yourself and to the other. And, uh, and then, you know, if your will is touched, it's okay. You know, don't worry about it. It's just the way it is, you know, and you just hold and, uh, and relax and it makes it takes a few breaths but suddenly you realize wow this is really comfortable this is way more than just saying having a hug and hey man give me five or something it's it gets real and uh so those those are the kind of things that i learned in the ashram hugging silence in music music spiritual music has to come out of silence mm. That's why our concerts, we can come on that stage and everybody's so happy to see us and we're happy to be there. But once we sit on those chairs, Dave is not going to sing a note until all the energy settles. So we take, it can be a few minutes and first, you know, people who've never been before, they, they start, what's going on? You know, there's a few coughs and everybody's a little, <laughs> you know, even, but in the end, even, there, there comes... And then she can start, and then it starts, and then off we go. And then two or three hours later, it lands, and nobody's thinking about coughing. You know, everybody's in the space, in the zone with us, you know. And so these are the things I learned in the ashram, and, uh, you yeah, know, oh, sure. Oh, sure. Oh, it was about 10 years ago that I first went to Kirtan. I'd never been before. And that was when I first discovered 
the no clapping at the end of the song. And I remember the first time I was there, I liked it, but it was so uh, against my conditioning. Mm. It was a little odd. Mm. And then what I realized, because I, I immediately just loved Kirtan. I, I was like, what is this? This is so good. And I, rem I now remember vividly noticing how the song had made me feel differently because I didn't go into the action of clapping. And instead, in the silence and in the, in the sitting, your body felt the effect of what you had all just chanted through in a very present and profound way. And yeah. uh, it's a beautiful thing, but it's, it's, uh, so it, it, it's still rare. Yeah, yeah, it's good, it's good, it's a good, it's a good thing to teach people, especially on a big scale, you know, like, like in Russia, we play to 6,000 people in a, rock, in a rock arena, you know, every year. So 6,000 people yeah. it's sitting up, chanting mantras, and sitting, so I'm thinking to myself, this is historic, man, nothing yeah. happened in Moscow, that people have gathered in this kind of number to chant Sanskrit mantras, you know, and sit in silence. It's never happened. And uh, that's the kind of, that that turns me on, you know, it's not the volume of, of the crowd or anything, because it's a family. It's a family. I look out and I just feel like, oh, okay, this is the Moscow Sangha. Yeah. This is you guys. This is it. This is how we're so happy and honored to be here and be able to play for you. And we can go together on this journey, you know, and nobody's trying to prove anything. Nobody's out there to say, do you like it or not? Or, you know, please listen to it. But it's just not that. Those, those kind of, um, you know, attitudes there. Because anyway, you know, when you're, a, when you're a support act in the rock business, you know, you get all kinds of shit, you know, you do, you're out there, you're standing there in front of uh, a load of people who don't want you to be there and are only there, only there because the other band are not ready yet, you know. So, you know, to, to be free of that was like being free of a chain, you know. It was like, oh, God. And I promised myself and Deva that when we started this, there would be no performance. And I noticed the very first concert we ever did was in Munich. We were very raw. It was way before... Uh, uh, it was it was it was very early on, and we were invited to to play before uh, Harry Prasad Chaurasia, who's uh, uh, Harry Prasad is uh, the he's like the Ravi Shankar of the Bansuri, the, the mm. Indian bamboo flute. He's the Ravi Shankar, and we we were in this theater, and the guy who put it on knew us, and. Uh, and we didn't, Dave and me, we, you know, we'd never been in that position before. And I noticed before we went on, wow, she's not nervous at all. She was, there was, she wasn't like she was, yeah, you know, she was just David, you know. And, uh, and so, you know, these experiences that I have with David just, you know, they're the kind of teachings that we had. The t you know, the main thing that me and David learned out of being with Osho as a couple, is that, uh, is it to honor each other's spiritual journey as the priority at mm. each individual 
has a spiritual journey, and that's a priority. That's what makes you friends. It's not like, no, you can't do that because we're married. You can't do that because we have a circle around ourselves. It's like it just opens everything out, and it doesn't Beautiful. mean care. It means you just want your friend to experience life. And I was 43, she was 20. I'm like, I'm not going to stand in anyone's way here. This is your chance. You're a young, beautiful woman. You're in uh, the most amazing tantric experiment on the earth. And uh, with, a, with an alive tantra master who guides you every step of the way, but is not in any way um, giving you a dogma. It's all up to you. It's all about commitment. He can say to you, look, here's some meditations, but nobody ever said, you got to do them. Huh. It was there. And uh, if you did them, if you got up at five o'clock in the morning to do the morning meditation, you did. But nobody said, you have to. And nobody said, you can't leave this. The doors were always open. It wasn't a cult at all. It was just this amazing place. And uh, whatever the world thought of you, man, it was like, who cares? Yeah, I'm at last, I'm at home. And, uh, you know, and in that whole process, my son has been one of my best friends. He's 43. You know, we've just bought him a house, you know, mm -hmm. and for his kids and, you know, and things like that, you know. And uh, his mother and me are good friends. And, you know, it all yeah. reconciled itself. And I'm ready to die, man. I'm ready to go. This is okay. I've I've really had had the best the best life I could imagine, and uh, and that how I had a heart operation two years. I was going to ask you how that how that has been for you. What was the experience of of that, and and it what was did a, it change? What didn't it change? Yeah, it's a rebirth. It's a rebirth. Huh. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When was it, Maten? It was a couple of years ago. A couple of years ago, yeah. Huh. And uh, we actually, we were here. We were here in Blue Spirit. Oh, and wow. we, were, we, were, we were at Stefan's. We, we were staying at Stefan's. And uh, I had pains in the chest. And, uh, but then it became a pain in the chest. So my left arm was numb. So I said, okay. And we had a group. And I thought, okay, I'm going to do this group. And then I'll go. So... Uh, I did the group and uh, thinking, you know, if I die, this is the best place to die, man. Right in the middle of this, this is, you know, with my guitar strapped on, this is the way to go, you know. So I did it. And uh, the end of the group went to uh, uh, San Jose, to the hospital, got some checks. They said, yeah, we have to, you, you know, we have to do something. It's probably a stent. And they went, they were going to do the stent, woke me up and said, you're in big trouble. You have to go immediately for your uh, open heart surgery. We cannot do it here. We've booked you in, in Houston, Texas. It's wow. just, and the guy said, this is where I studied and it's the best place. So uh, we got on a plane, didn't tell the airlines, got on a plane, got to Houston, they booked me in. And uh, the next day I was on the operating table, you know, it was like that fast. And, um, Uh, I think 
I think that was the proof of the power of prayer. That was the proof because I was inundated, man. I had no idea people loved me like that. I knew they loved Deva and I knew I was part of the whole thing and I knew, but uh, suddenly it was a tidal wave of love coming at me. And uh, I remember the doctor saying to me about a few days afterwards, you're healing really fast. Mm. What's your secret? And I said, take a look at my Facebook page. Mm. <laughs> secret. I was the proof. And, and within a week or so, I was uh, getting back good. And, uh, you know, I've got an angel by my side, David. You know, David was just there. David is an, is an angel on this earth. She, you know, I can't begin to, I can't begin to tell you, man. You know, like every night there's David and she puts cream on my feet and she massages my feet, you know. And and it was like, you know, this kind of depth is not is not to be. Uh, it's just amazing. So, so a couple of weeks after after that, I was in Malibu, where I know you are, and my friends. And uh, that was the turning point. I I couldn't sleep. My body wouldn't let me sleep. Every time I would drift off. And I realized they put the mind away, but the body is awake and the body is very aware and the body was freaking out. And uh, so I had about three or four days of deep trauma work, which I did myself. I just shook. I trembled and shook and I covered myself up. Those guys, uh, my friends, they had this, which I would never have used because I don't like to use that sort of stuff, but uh, sheep, sheep's wool beautiful, beautiful sheep's when I used to cover myself up in the sheep and uh, or whatever it was, and I would tremble for hours. I got so violent, I chipped a tooth. I didn't even know about trauma. I didn't really know. I didn't know why I was doing it, but I just knew it felt good. And then there was one night where, and I'd always felt I was going through some kind of birth canal, you know? I felt I felt, I said to David, it's like I'm, I, I'm going through this burn and I'm, I could feel something, but I, I wasn't, wasn't there. And, and, uh, and this was, this trembling, this shaking was moving me towards the, the birth and I didn't know it. And then there was one night when uh, I just freaked, I just freaked, totally freaked out. And I was crying and bawling and screaming all night. Lives couldn't stop. And every time it subsided, I was like, I went back. Is there any more? And David just hold space, just held the space and let me go for it. And, uh, and uh, come dawn, you know, and I was just coming down and I was like, I just need to hear Osho's voice because that was always my go-to, you know. And there's something in me said, what about your own healing, man? What about your healing? Because we'd heard, you know, I mean, people had told us they'd used our music so much magnificence for the, the, the transition for their friends and loved ones and parents. They'd used the music at birth of their children. They'd used the music from lovemaking, you know, and it's like, and you know it was, and I, and I suddenly, and we just recorded 
the album Deva. It would already mm-hmm. which is beautiful, by the way. It's amazing that one man. And I said to Deva, uh, put the Gayatri mantra on. And she put that mantra on, man. Uh, I can feel it now. And uh, we just cuddled up on the bed and held each other. And uh, it was like perfume. It was just like perfume. And uh, we just, we drifted off to sleep. And I woke in the morning. And just like you, with your sun, the sun pouring through, I woke up in the morning. There was a California sun pouring through the window. And I was like, Wow, that was the birth. And I, I was I was like up. And it was like, oh, wow, this is my second chance, you know. And, uh, and uh, within six weeks of that, I was, I couldn't play, but we had a tour and I put together a band because I wanted the best band for Dave. And I knew I could do that, but I couldn't play, but I could put together... Uh, some musicians who could support David without me. Mm. And uh, so I was on the tour, in the tour bus. It was America. And uh, I was in the back of the tour bus in the bedroom with me and David of the band. And, uh, uh, you know, and six weeks after that, I was back on the road. And um, and I gave myself the honor and the privilege of playing a couple of songs at the start of the second set after the interval. And honestly, when I walked out onto that stage with everyone, it was like people who would do, everyone would stand up and I'm receiving this love that uh, it was just out there, man. And I'm, and so, you know, and I had my, my troops, my band and Deva and Manoas, and we would just play a few songs. And then I'm like, that's it, uh, you know, that's, just not, that's enough. And then I would go back and the guys would finish the thing and I would come back at the end and chant the Gayatri Mantra all together and like, thank you. And if that doesn't heal you, man, nothing's going to heal you, you know? Yeah. And that's, that's how I got healed. And, and the, the song that you said that you wanted Deva to play you from the, the album, Deva, was that the Seven Chakra Gayatri Mantra? So that's her melody too, her first ever melodic composition was the piece of medicine that just makes so much sense yeah i know it was wow that's beautiful thank you so much for sharing that that story with us and yeah wow i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna sit with that story for the rest of the day and and really take that in but i i guess i know we have to kind of come to a close in a moment but you know one thing that was going on for me today miten thinking of the opportunity to speak to you you know, I've been a channeler for 25 years and my guides, they often talk about how we become a wisdom keeper when we get into our older years. And they say, you know, you, you tend to enter into that phase as early as 60, depending on, you know, who you are and where you are. And so I was thinking, well, Miten is, is, a, is an important wisdom keeper for us at, at a time of real intensity and real transformation and real change. And I wondered, is there anything, is there a message that you would give to those of us who are witnessing this tumultuous transformational time? Is there any, any message that you would give us to, to kind of uh, help steer us forward whenever the going gets rough or when it gets intense or 
when people go into fear about what's going to happen on the planet. Yeah, I guess what works for me. So, so uh, then uh, I would say, find your mantra. Find your mantra, man, because these mantras, they're powerful medicine, you know, and uh, they're, they're in the ether. You have to step towards them. They're not, they can't come to you, but you, you know, and it's okay to sing them like the Gayatri mantra. It's beautiful. But uh, I like to say that, uh, you know, once, once you had to, uh, you know, once you had to get to go to India and you had to sit with a guru Baba somewhere, and maybe if you were lucky one day, he'd whisper your mantra in your ear. Now you can Google mantras, man. You can uh, own mantra. It's every mantra has its own quality. Every mantra has its own distinct energy, you know, and you, if once you step into there, you have a friend for life. So whether you're isolated, whether you're lost, whether you want to give thanks and gratitude, whatever you want, there's a mantra for you. And, and that's why we, we made two albums, one called Mantras for Precarious Times, um, one called Mantras for Life, and then another one with Buddhist monks from uh, Tibet uh, who we met in Australia, a bunch of... Uh, of uh, Guto monks who would come to give uh, uh, satsang every year in Australia, and uh, we did. David did an album chanting with them, and we did them because we wanted to give people a tool. Like one hundred eight, one hundred and eight cycles. So you know the, the 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 concept is, you know, there's David chanting seven different mantras, one hundred and eight cycles. Go and explore. Maybe this ma this mantra is for removing energetic blocks from your body. This mantra is for sacred lovemaking. This mantra is for a sense of inner peace. You know, and 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 see which mantra resonates. And say, okay, I'm gonna. This was the concept back then. I'm gonna put the CD in the, in there, and I'm gonna chant with Deva for 21 nights before I go to sleep, and then I'll know what this mantra is that's going to be my my step into a commitment because a commitment is very important and i learned that from osho you can't you know i know there are many religious sects and religious things where uh you have to do this this is what you have to do osho is not like like i said you know it's a very much individual commitment you can be told but do you actually get up and do it? That's another step. And that's what Osho told me. It's what he gave me. It was like, so what I like to pass on is that. It's like, look, I'm not saying it's the only way, but it's my way. And I know it works. I can lay in bed feeling lost. If I feel lost, isolated, disconnected, troubled, I can, you know, wake, you know, I can lay in bed and chant my mantra without waking Deva. And I can chant it for 108 times and I guarantee by the end of that time, I have a smile and I see the great gratitude that, uh, uh, that I have to acknowledge for this life that I've been taken 
into this body by some mysterious force and I'm uh, here to learn and here to give and here to share. And you can't share if you don't love yourself, you know. It's the love for yourself that you share. So that's where the mantras give you and it gives you this sense of, wow. David, I like David. She likes to say, you know what? You know, all these mantras have all these different meanings, but basically the basic meaning of all mantras is, wow. You know, wow. That's what they're all saying. <laughs> so maybe that's, uh, that's something. And I, the other thing I would say is sing. Sing, you know. If you're afraid, sing. And I learned this through my kind of, druggy times whenever I got scared. If I sang, <coughs> whatever darkness I was finding myself in dissipated, you know. Yeah. So sing, sing. And so that's another thing. Your mantras, you sing them. You chant. You don't have to be Pavarotti. There's two notes in most mantras. You can make your own. Mm. But just do it and use your voice, you know. Beautiful. <laughs> Ted, thank you so much. You have you have touched and lit my heart today. So I, I know many will feel the same, but thank you for sharing some of your journey and your story and your experience. And long may you sail because the impact that you you guys bring to our world energetically and through through what you encode is is really needed. So thank you. Thanks, man. Nice to talk to you. Next time you, you talk and I'll listen. Okay, deal. <laughs> you have been listening to Impact the World. For more of my work, please visit leeharrisenergy.com. In 2018, I launched a course called Empaths vs. Narcissists, a power dynamic and how to recover from it. It's a video course and it's designed to support you to recover from any kind of relationship where you have given your power away. It's interesting because narcissism has been this big topic and I think it's very easy for any of us to just point the finger and label people. And it's also very complicated. You know, at any particular moment, we can all have narcissistic tendencies or behave empathically. Why I created this course is time and time again, I was meeting and working with so many people who had got themselves quite entangled into this unhealthy dynamic and had come out of it, didn't know how to recover from it, didn't quite know what had happened to them, but also didn't know what to rebuild in themselves in order to avoid walking back into it in the future. And I certainly had my own experiences around this. So the course is born of personal experience, my experience of working with one-on-one -on -one clients and groups around the world for several years on this topic. And it's delivered via video, audio, worksheets. And for 2020, we are launching again this fall in September. And it will be open for just over a month that you can enroll because we like to support the course live. So as each piece is delivered over the two months, me and my team can support you as you go through the process. There are also some bonus interviews that I'm adding this year with people who have particular expertise and experience around this dynamic. 
It's the most healing course that I offer and have offered and it has been very acclaimed by the students who have gone through it so far. So we're really looking forward to opening the doors again. It's a touchy subject, you know, it's not the most fun thing to, to, to look at or to visit in yourself, but the results can be profound when you figure out how you got yourself into giving your power away in the first place, how to recover from the fact that you did it, and then how to avoid doing it again in the future. So I hope you'll join us for Empaths vs. Narcissists 2020. You can visit empathsversusnarcissists.com to find out more details about the full course.